0: Hi everyone and welcome to Leukemia Chatters, a podcast about blood cancer from Leukemia Care. This month I took a step back and Zach hosted the podcast and this was because it was Men's Health Week from the 10th to the 16th of June and Zach was joined by Chris and Nigel who are two CML patients You have heard Chris on the podcast before and they discussed the challenges facing men with cancer and why it's important for men in particular to reach out for help. Welcome to Leukemia Chatters. We're filming our June edition of our latest podcast and we're going to you live on Facebook Live. Uh, I'm hosting it this time instead of Charlotte because we're going to be talking about men's health issues. Um, so to talk to me about this, I'm joined by two different people. First, we have returning star Chris Griffin. Star, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Hello. Um, And we're also joined by newcomers to the podcast, but not newcomer, known very well to leukemia care, Nigel. Indeed, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to it. A pleasure. As a newcomer, could you explain a little bit about who you are, Nigel,
1: and your background? Okay, yeah. Uh, My name's Nigel. I'm a CML patient. I was diagnosed just coming up eight years ago in chronic phase. I've been on imatinib and um, done very well over the last um, eight years. Uh, Recently had my first undetectable Result and um, fitting well, working full time, and um, yeah, generally generally doing well, I'm pleased to say. And Chris, just to be,
0: again, quick background.
2: Yeah, CML patient of 11 years um, on disatinib, diagnosed chronic phase, undetectable, and bouncing in and out at those very low levels
0: for a number of years now. Uh, work full time, happy, and um, yeah, okay. Okay, so, well, let's start with the basic questions. Men's health is is leukaemia and cancer any different for men than it is for women? Oh, well, you started on a quite wide basis there, haven't <laughs> exactly. you, really?
2: Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a great question. I think men in general have a very different approach to their health. And I'm talking in very, very broad strokes. Um, I think we're becoming more and more aware of mental health and and men and um, suicide risks of men under 40 and things like that. And that has become an an open conversation. But I still think men are pretty rubbish in terms of their attitudes to um, going to the doctors, GPs, talking about it with friends and all that type of stuff. I mean, I was diagnosed. I have no idea why I went to the doctor. No idea at all because I had a bit of a bad back, and uh, and and under normal circumstances I would never ever have gone because because like I'm a bloke. What's the point? You know, it's just ridiculous idiocy. Uh, But yeah, yeah. I think things are improving, but um, I think in general women are far more sensible
0: when it comes to looking after themselves. What about you then, Nigel? Your diagnosis?
1: I'm. I'm probably the other way around. Certainly, I rarely go to the doctors other than sports injuries, which I seem to be there all the time. But if I've got something that's wrong with me, uh, which over the years I've had a couple of times, I've had a detached retina and I had um, um, if theoretically a problem with my heart. It wasn't, but um, at the time I thought it was. I tend to go and get them sorted out because my view on these things is that um if you get diagnosed with something earlier on, you're much, much more likely to have it resolved than if you get diagnosed late on. And certainly for my leukemia diagnosis, I think that's very true because I was called relatively early on. I think my journey has been easier than it would have been if I was diagnosed at a later date. So um, I'm probably one of the more unusual people that will, will go to the doctors, uh, certainly infrequently, but I will go. My diagnosis came about... Um, bit by luck, really. I had a detached retina 20-odd years ago, had flashing in my eyes, which was the thickening of the blood, and thought I'd got a detached retina again, so toddled off to the hospital to, um, to have my eye sorted out to actually come out an hour later to be told I got leukemia, which was uh, a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> but, no. but, yeah, I would agree with Chris, definitely. I think men generally do bury their heads in their sand without a shadow of doubt, and I've got family members and friends that that certainly has been applicable to.
0: So one of the other things that we hear a lot about about men's health is once you are diagnosed, the mental health aspect, and particularly talking to other people about it and accessing support. So when you were both diagnosed, um, how did you tell others? What did you communicate? Did you find that difficult? Um,
2: Yeah, I did, um, I think. Um, I remember it being quite stressful, but I just wanted to get it out there because I wanted to sort of move on from that period of diagnosis. So I remember it it might have been within sort of 48 hours that I just called everybody. Um, And telling friends was probably the hardest thing. And and again, I still can't quite work out why. But all I know is that I wanted to move away from the point of diagnosis so I could start um, on the journey. And I don't know what motivated me uh, to do it. I, I think at that moment in time, you're not really thinking straight. Um, so, uh, yeah, that those, those early days are odd, really, really odd. I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer to be honest with you, but I think it's quite important to try and talk about it. Whether you think you might be making a fool of yourself or whether you think this is absolutely the right thing, the people that worry me that are the ones that are diagnosed when we talk to people on groups all the time when it's a wife that comes onto a uh, onto a Facebook group or something and says, "You know my husband's been diagnosed, but he's he's sort of just pretended it's not happening and isn't talking to anybody um i I find that terrifying mm. i yeah i don't
1: disagree with you chris i mean there's many many examples um part of what Chris and I do, we run a facebook group for c m l um and so different people react very, very differently. I know many, many people who have been diagnosed for many weeks, if not even months, who haven't told their children because the children are young, which I understand, and other people will be very open from day one. I mean, from my own point of view, I came home from the hospital, um, told my wife, obviously, immediately, told my kids that night and told everyone pretty well straight away, to be honest. Um, Never really occurred to me not to, but I know other people are the other way around who who really wouldn't want to share it. Uh, And I think certainly uh, here in the UK, because again, talking to people abroad, our attitudes towards being ill is generally quite good in the sense that we have an accepting society, I think, for most things, possibly with the exception of mental health and a couple of other things where there's still that stigma to it. But generally speaking, I think people like to share Um, get support uh, and make people aware but there's also the conscious decision by many people not to tell their employers um, because of the impact that could potentially in their mind have on them and undoubtedly has had with certain people as well so different people have different ways of dealing with it but um, I personally favor being open within reason obviously everyone's
2: personal circumstances are different. And the issue that we have, of course, with employers is that you only hear about the the horror stories of employers because that's what people report. You know, I told my employer and it it went horribly wrong from that point. You don't tend to go onto a forum or tell people when your employer's been absolutely brilliant and and really looked after you and done Mm. everything right because there's no story there. There's nothing to, Mm. there's no experience to share. It's just normal life. I think we're both lucky in, you know, in, in our employments and the way that we work and that we have been treated really well. but. Um, people that keep, I mean, it it is just such a big thing to keep in. Um, It's such a really big thing. So those people that don't say anything or don't talk, I have respect for, for how they want to deal with it.
0: But ultimately, I can't ever see that being a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've spoken to people and again, generally male rather than female who haven't even told their partners that they've been diagnosed with cancer, which Oh, yeah, how, how you can necessarily live. I, I can understand maybe you want to come to terms with the decision in your own head before you want to communicate about it, um, but that's obviously a really challenging thing. I think
1: it's partly communication about it, but I also think there's an element of some people are worried about how their partner will react to the illness. Um, you know, Again, in my sort of personal life at the moment, a friend of mine has been diagnosed uh, with Alzheimer's um, and so trying to protect that person in some ways from things uh, you know everyone's story is different and each case is taken individually obviously um, but yeah I couldn't imagine not telling your partner and sharing that I think particularly as Chris said in those first few days weeks months you need that support be that from your partner or be that from your family and uh we're lucky to have that and um, I feel very difficult or sorry for people who don't have that as in they don't have a partner or don't have family to give them support and
0: encouragement So if, if someone was kind of sitting out there either listening to this video or listening to the podcast and they hadn't told um, partners but wanted to, how would you suggest going about that? What would you think is a useful strategy that maybe you've tried or heard that others, others have tried? Um, I think there is a
2: of good info out there now. When I was diagnosed, it, it felt a little bit shoddy um, 11 years ago. And when I Googled it, it was all out of date information. Um, and now there is good stuff, especially the information that Leukemia Care provides. That, that's key and those handbooks are good. And I'm not just saying that because we're here and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, think I think that's important that if you trust in the information that is out there and is provided... it it becomes an easier resource to share and that level of understanding for the patient is important to get there before that that can be conveyed so I mean my view is that you should have someone with you when you go to appointments so it's not you coming home and sharing it's your partner or somebody with you at those appointments and sharing from that, that point of source. Because a lot of the time in those early days, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what to ask. It's all a bit of a blur. You feel like you're caught up in some type of ridiculous um, issue that is just is just going on around you. So to have that support at that level, I think that works two ways. Um, but to also have the, the the written support, those packs, the information, the websites... Um, I think that's where I would start um, and start sharing that and having those conversations about that.
1: Would you agree? I, I would. I think the only comment I would say is that we have an illness which is generally quite manageable these days. Our particular type of leukemia and different leukemias, melanomas, cancers are very different and therefore the outlook for each patient can be quite different and I think that could temper the way people um, react as well. I mean, Chris picked up a minute ago back going to appointments with somebody. I was diagnosed on my own, um, really because I well, myself a eye problem, which was interesting in hematology. <laughs> it never really occurred to me. Um, but not having somebody there with me um, you know for me wasn't great, and so you are given a lot of information, some of it goes over your head because of the shock of it and it's having the ability to go back and talk about it further with somebody else. And everything's new, you you know, you're diagnosed with a cancer, whatever that is, and you're about to have your world turned upside down. You've got to learn a new language, um, very much so, and new technical terms, and there's a lot to learn. And, you know, from my personal point of view, I made a very, very conscious decision not to search the internet at diagnosis. Because Chris touched on it a minute ago, but in a different respect, people don't go to the internet to say, I'm really well. People go to the internet to say, This is terrible. And so I took the view that that initial um, diagnosis, I was only going to find negative stories. Um, So I made a conscious decision to stick away from it initially. And again, like Chris, I was given information which was significantly out of date. You know, I was diagnosed. Um, when in it had been around for nine or ten years, and the booklet I was given it had been around three years and was having some success, <laughs> which was
0: uh, very different than the reality. So yeah, make sure the information you're given is up to date. It's interesting you both mentioned kind of information, but also one of your answers you mentioned about kind of people talking about it and, and the visibility. Do you think there's a lack of kind of awareness of men getting cancer in in the media, for example? Do we talk about it enough? Is enough specific information tailored to men? Personally, I think in the
1: general media, so you're talking about the TV, etc., I don't see that much of a differential between reports on your TV programs, your news programs, between men and women. Where I do think there is a real significant difference is men's ability to... um, not access information, but let's say magazines. A lot of male magazines over the years have fallen by the wayside with the internet coming forward, etc. Men are less likely to buy general magazines. And I think that if you look at some of the magazines that are about for ladies, there's probably more of them. And um, I think as you're more towards a middle age or an older person, people may go to those magazines even more. And I think they will focus on a breast cancer a cervical cancer whatever the case may be I don't know that that is there for men um, not that I look particularly but that's just the feel that I get uh, and therefore there's less points of reference for men to be looking at even indirectly looking at they're just there and you're flicking through something so that I think is a, a gap a
2: gap is probably the wrong word in, but yeah I think there is a shortage there it's, it's also the way we, we process the information because mm. we've as 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 men we've we've talked about these very practical ways of obtaining the information and, and I mean that is a typical male trait, isn't it? Obtain information, process yeah. information, distribute information, and it's not emotive at all it is it's It's very cold almost and and we've sort of gone down that route and I think that when um, the education program happens through football clubs or sort of very male dominated issues the wrestling thing that we've we've discussed previously um i think that helps because it gives line of sight rather than collating that level of information we can see it's happening to somebody watching how they are dealing with that particular process and slowly but surely i feel that is eroding that um that barrier that we have sometimes and that way that we process information. And Nigel's absolutely spot on in terms of the magazines. When you look at the difference, because I read a lot of magazines, when you look at the difference between magazines that are aimed at men and aimed at women... The, the male ones are full of sort of technical detail, regardless of what it's about. So I buy Men's Health magazine, and it's very much about going to the gym and reps and diets and things like that. And there's sometimes some mental health stuff that's crept in there, which is a good thing. But when you look at the women's stuff, that is more about looking after your body. Mm. Um, and, I, and I genuinely think that we have got a long way
0: to go to start moving towards that, because I think the trickle-down, will really help us well and i mean we can take some learnings from say the prostate cancer community they've done some really interesting things with football clubs in particular um some of the other kind of men's health and November campaigns and in, in some ways though November's kind of become a talk about men's health generally rather than anything necessarily specifically do you think there's a need to be more specific to talk about say leukemia for example in i'm not saying it's part of November, but just more generally amongst men
2: yeah, again, it touches on to what you were saying earlier on, that there are so many cancers out there that I'd kind of rather see an agenda about looking after your body and being aware of your body. Um, I don't know about Nigel, but I'm very, very aware of anything that happens with my body now because um, it's let me down once. I don't I don't trust it much. Um, so if anything goes wrong, I'm, I'm on it. But I don't think my friends are generally. I think they would be a lot more relaxed about that, whether I'm right or wrong, I'm not quite sure, but at least I'm aware of things going on.
1: Yeah, I think I, I said earlier at the start, you know, I've always been relatively aware for myself that if something's not right, get it looked at and get it sorted out. Um, I think that's not something that's generally done, as you say, by men. Um, I think the focus on health, sort of dealing with football clubs, et cetera, one of the difficulties you have is that when you are young, you're indestructible anyway. And so you don't look for those signs. It's only as you start getting a bit older, you know, I look at my son, 22, my daughter, 19. They probably won't give much thought to health issues whatsoever because you're going to live forever and, and that's that.
0: And you smile Riley, because, you know, I think we've, we've all been there, haven't we? The the I, I, I smile Riley, because I'm a massive hypocrite. Um, <laughs> so, so whenever I'm unwell, despite working on an awareness campaign about raising awareness of leukemia, when I'm unwell, not with leukemia-related symptoms still reluctant to go and see the gp um I, when i the last time i went to see my gp i actually had been deregistered because i hadn't been for five years um what stops you from going I, well probably same as you i'm invincible i don't it's not a message we should be putting out there but i you just don't think it will happen to you mm. um and i'm sure both of you neither of you suspected you would have leukemia no. it wasn't a consideration that you were thinking oh i might be seriously unwell here uh, no, it, it wasn't. I mean, I, I joke
1: about this, and uh, my diet. I'm. I'm I, I regard myself as being fairly healthy. So, in my fairly health. Admitted with suspected heart heart attack, which was viral pericarditis, detached retina, leukemia. Other than that, I'm really well, I am. So maybe that's the reason I tend to go, you know, if I've got something and and have them looked at. But I do actually genuinely regard myself as fairly well. And for me, it was almost Sod's Law that, you know, I I, I did use to smoke a little bit, you know, two or three a day sort of thing. Don't drink a lot, look after myself. And so when I was diagnosed, it was almost like, well, that's typical. And I almost half expected it because I actually tried to look after myself. And you have all these other people who don't. Does that make any sense at all? And so it was quite ironic. And when he told me, I almost sat there and thought, well, oh, there you go. It's quite bizarre, really. I think on a more serious note, going back to something you said a minute ago, I think the one thing that whether you're male, whether you're female, people should be aware of is things like weight loss, um, unexplained significant weight loss, um, and that's. there are other things like that. The night sweats, which I had, I assume you had, etc. Mm-hmm. These aren't the normal things. And I think whether you look after your health or you don't, if you are suddenly confronted by something that's fundamentally changed, then that should send alarm bells ringing to go to the
0: doctors. Yeah. would you? So one of the things that Leukemia Care does is the Spot Leukemia campaign, which references mm-hmm. the symptoms you've been mentioning, would, as a male, either of you resonate any differently with that? Would you say you saw something, obviously, you've been diagnosed with leukemia, but say you saw some, a campaign like that for something else, would you be interested in that? Is that something you'd pay more or less attention to? I think that, sorry,
1: I'll, I'll sort of interrupt before Chris there. I think the one difficulty you have with that spot leukemia or what it's whatever, everybody's vying for space these days. Yeah. Everybody. And so it's very difficult not to just get lost in the noise. And I think that's the one downside to everything. All the campaigns that are out there constantly, it becomes a lot of noise um, about health, and people are very conscious of that. And I don't know how, from a leukemia point of view, we can push, you know, push that forward. I think mean, you do great jobs with the dot or work with the doctors and so on, but it's still a relatively small sector or part of health. Um,
2: and yeah, I think that's, that is an issue at the moment. I I I tend to avoid that type of stuff. So the the program that was on last night about melanoma, um, I'm not watching that because if I find out more about it, I'm you know I might get it. It's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But you know I think there's a, there's an element of hypochondria about it that you just go. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't. You know. I'm. I'm slightly aware. If something changed in my body, then yeah, absolutely, I would go and get it checked out. But I don't need to go looking for the symptoms. So when Jeff and the boys on on the, the sports football program do their prostate cancer awareness week, where they're talking about all the stuff, I'm not interested in the in the symptoms and stuff. I'm not interested in that. If if this happens, because I'm I'm a little bit terrified of them turning around and saying something that I think, oh, hang on a second, that. Now I've got a little bit of that so it's terrible so I've still got that in me that wants to run away from those things but I'm, what has changed since I was 32 is that if something did change significantly in my body that I'm, I became aware of I just don't need it forced upon me maybe i 'm
0: damaged in in that way, but yeah, I do, I do. I well, do. maybe we'll offer the support for that after <laughs> that. <laughs> it might be worth it. Um, but okay, we've talked quite a lot about kind of diagnosis and awareness, but once someone is diagnosed, are there any particular issues that affect men more than women? I know one you've spoken a lot about before, Chris, about sperm banking like fertility, particularly from a male perspective
2: yeah yeah that, that is uh, i mean i I found that it is something that <laughs> Great consultants will always look after you, but I I think it doesn't hurt to be pushing that agenda as well. And at 32, I hadn't got children and and I wasn't even thinking about having children at the time. And um, my consultant said, off you go to the women's hospital because we don't know how the drugs affect the sperm and we'd rather be safe than sorry. Um, And I know that there's research and tests out there, but he was of the opinion. Let's just let's just do it anyway, just because it's the best practice. Uh, To go and sort, and I and I thank him pretty much every day because I've got a son who's seven, and I'm completely blessed by that. And we went through ICSI treatment. Um, It's 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 a monster because it's the last thing you're thinking of if you haven't got children at that point of diagnosis, and before you start your treatment to get yourself sperm sperm banked. And and um, and and blokes, I suppose again, it's something else that's a bit awkward. Um, and I like talking about it. I like talking about the the horribly awkward experience it was to go and sperm bank. And I'm sure lots of people know about um, me ringing the bell and things like that and laminated pornography and all that, but it's part of life. Lots of people have to go through it. It is, it is one of those things. And I think if we can smile about it and take the edge off it, and it's not a stigma, it is a means to an end. And the end is something absolutely amazing. Um, and we've just got to get over ourselves a little bit with that one and have that conversation. That's that for me. That's a big, that's a really, really important one um, because I think there is that resistance to go, oh, sperm. Oh, we're not talking about that. <laughs> you know, we're not with the doctor, not with strangers. Uh, so yeah, that's huge for me.
0: Are there any other particular issues that you think, as a man diagnosed with cancer, that are either unique to men or affect men differently?
2: Um.
1: I'm not sure. I think one thing that always occurs to me is that men with um, their personal. Um, parts of their body, shall we say, <laughs> be that whatever, tend not to be seen by doctors the way ladies are. I mean, you have cervical smears, they have breast um, scans and whatever the case may be. Men don't have that and I think there is a real reticence from men to go and see the doctor about something that might be more personal, whether that's to do with your bowels or bits and pieces or your back end or whatever the case may be. And I think, you know, we're all human. You go and see a doctor and they've got exactly what you've got and they've got the same problems that you have, etc. I think people need to be aware of that and try and lose that embarrassment, a little bit like you're saying about sperm banking. I don't want to go and see a doctor. I realize it's not leukemia-wise because, you know, I'm going to be embarrassed to show them something. That's silly. We'll all do it, but it is silly at the end of the day. We need to be aware of it. And I think slightly going off at a tangent here, the one thing that I would also give advice about is that, um, make sure you get good care, it might sound a stupid thing to say, but make sure you go and see somebody who knows about the topic that you have a problem with, whatever cancer that may be. You know, it's. I certainly felt at diagnosis that you are sitting in front of God, because God there is about to cure you, or sort you out, whatever the case may be, and putting it bluntly, one God might be a bit better than the other God. And you need to make sure that you get to the right specialist, somebody who knows about what's wrong with you. I certainly had times early on where I was nervous of some of the things that I was being told. Um, for example, you know, you shouldn't have unprotected sex with CML. You've got to be protected sex. Absolute rubbish. And you've got your doctor telling you this, which you then find out at a later date is wrong, and various other things. Dysatinib at the time was freely available um, through the NHS. It then went off because it wasn't an approved. It's now back on, I hasten to add. But again, my specialist didn't know that it, didn't know it was no longer available, that sort of stuff. I knew it because you become a specialist in your own field. My doctor didn't. So I changed who I was seeing. That was a very difficult thing to do um, in the awkwardness, embarrassment, and how on earth do I do this without offending the doctor? Mm. You might die unless you offend your doctor. Go and see somebody who knows about your particular illness. That's the thing I want to get across.
2: And doctors and consultants are used to it. Are used to cross-referrals and being referred across. So it's not upsetting anybody. They understand that patients like... Different opinions, second opinions. But you as a patient,
1: oh, you've just been diagnosed, you're very nervous of that. Now, seven, eight, nine years in, you are less nervous of it, shall yes. we say. Yeah. Um, but I think that's one thing I would very much get across to a newly diagnosed patient of whatever the illness is.
0: Okay. And one one of the other things changing tant- is we talked about support um, for people and some more information. But as a man, does the word support resonate with you? Is that something you think you'd likely access is that something that did you access but i mean i've heard from lots of people that immediately that kind of word puts you off something that actually maybe would be appropriate for you it's a different type of support isn't it because mm. we've both been involved in setting up the, that support group on facebook yeah.
2: and now there are in total between the two groups there are what, five six five thousand, thousand members. Yeah. you know so again as i don't know as men have we processed that differently actually probably not Um, I I just think that that's the route that we went down um, in that there were people to talk to online um, and it just became sort of native Mm. for us in that way Um, as I as I get older I I feel the because it's it's an ongoing issue you know you take that tablet every morning you just get out and go to work and do whatever you need to do Um, but I think as that as you get older you sort of feel your mortality a little bit more perhaps and um, I think it's important just to keep just to keep talking about it and just have mates like Nigel that you can pick the phone up or or people that you can message on on Instagram and and say all right how are you doing and those like one line chats I find are quite important you know so if we, if we message each other how are you doing yeah I'm good you yeah yeah fine <laughs> that feels nice you know that that's that's pretty cool and sometimes your mates that aren't going through that uh, I think they they struggle to uh, relate or know what to say there are people that still don't want to ask me how I am because I think they're terrified (laughs) that I'm going to say something. Terrified the answer will be anything other than I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And then it's like, oh, no, where does that lead Mm. us? Yeah. I think you you say that. I think an element of being eight years
1: into it, people see you fit and well. And so they ask or they don't ask. I don't think it's a case that they're scared to. I think it's a case that people have... Forgotten's too strong a word, but just accepted that you are. Um, and you know, you, I, Chris, are very lucky. We live relatively normal lives. I think there's a lot of patients out there, be they CML or be they any other illness, who might look fit and well, but actually aren't, and they still need that support. They need the arm putting around them. They need somebody talking to them. Uh, and I think it is important, even if you have been diagnosed and you've got friends, relatives, etc., um, who've been diagnosed a long time just make the effort occasionally to ask them how they are, you know, how are things going, et cetera, rather than just assuming that everything's fit and well because that definitely happens. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is that there is undoubtedly a percentage of people out there who don't want to discuss it. And so, you know, you need to be an element of careful of that as well because they just don't want to talk about it. They take their pill, they get on with life, and as far as they're concerned, that's it. So, again, it's a fine line between the two. Um, I think support, you mentioned about support services, I think what you do as an organization is great to be there to support. And I think there are other organizations that can support as well. Um, Different people need it in different ways. I didn't personally need that external support. I had the support of, you know, my family, etc. But I also say I didn't need it. I'll look at it the other way. I set up a Facebook group. Um, So I suppose there must have been a need there because ultimately why would I have set it up if there wasn't, if that makes sense. Um, So... Sometimes I think you think you're all right and maybe you're
2: not Deep that. Yeah. And I have faith in the younger generation. I mean, I've, I do talks at schools and stuff like that. And the one group of people that always ask me how I am are the kids at school. So just last week, I haven't done a talk at my school for eight or nine months. And one of the kids came up to me last week and went, how's the leukemia, sir? You know, and it's just like no one ever says that. And they, there's I'll them. say that next time I it's, see. You. It's <laughs> lovely. It's just lovely that they feel strong enough and empowered enough just to say, you know, you're all right, sir. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's just great. That that that's a that's a nice situation. They know that they're not going to offend me because they know that I'm open about it, and and they care. And and I and I think there is something to be said about that. You know, that's nice. That's a, that's a good thing. Okay,
0: so. As well as it being um, with this topic on men's health at the moment, it's also was carers week recently. Um, how about the perspectives? I, I know both of you are patients, but how about the perspective of having a carer as a, as a man? Do you feel that your partners are a carer, is that a term you identify with, but also what kind of role have they played? I think it's, I, for me, it, it's worse for my partner, it's worse for Kelly.
2: Because I mean, uh, for me, I didn't get a choice in it really. I just had to do as I was told and just and just go along. But for her, I think she took a lot of the worry and a lot of the the, the sort of issues. And perhaps I might have been a little bit grumpy along the way uh, with some with some things. I can't ever begin to imagine I would have been, but maybe I might have been. Um, and and I think it's worse for carers because there is all of that. And more you know they, they are worried for you but they also feel that they have to look after you and sort of keep their eye on you and make sure you're not misbehaving and taking your tablet at the right time um, because um, not that we wouldn't anyway but it's it's just that keeping a close mm-hmm. eye on people I think the pressure's incredible and we hear it a lot that um, the, 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 the stress that carers are under is immense yeah I mean- for me, with
1: my wife, Jane, um, carer would be the wrong word because um, I was going to say I've never been ill. That's a silly comment, but, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones, shall we say. Um, so I think I, think I meant as in a carer, as in to care, yeah, not I, as in well, a traditional. No, yeah. That's what I was going to go on. Um, Sorry, that's what I was going to go on and, and really say. So I think that carer, I think it's probably more for me, partner yeah. rather than carer. Um yeah. I think that is very stressful because ultimately you go and have results. You're waiting for those results. They may not show their nervousness of waiting for those results, but they share that with you because ultimately that's the person they love. That's the person they care about. That's the person they live with. And I think that is tough. And certainly from my point of view, I remember very, very, very clearly the night I got diagnosed going to bed and actually lying in bed and I'm not particularly a religious person when I say the next term, thank God. But I remember lying in bed and sort of thanking God in inverted commas that I'd actually got it. Because from my point of view, that was by far and away the easiest. You know, I would much rather have been the ill person than see my wife or my children. Um, okay. So, we didn't get it easy. That's the wrong way. But I think you can deal with it yourself. And I think for a partner as a carer, I would have hated to have been the carer, I think is what I'm really trying to say. It was easier from my personal point of view being the patient than being the carer. So I have a lot of sympathy for the carer. Is, the is that a
2: man thing? Is that
0: a man thing? Us going wide shoulders, we can take it. I'd rather... I, I, I was I was reading an article about this um, the other day and they'd done some research looking into this and saying whether or not there was an inherent kind of perspective of females are better carers. It was a, it was a question rather than the suggestion that they were.
2: Mm. It was like a common piece. Yeah. I don't think I'd be very good. I think I'd be a little bit all over the shop. But then, I, think, I don't trust myself. I, I don't
1: know. I, I think ultimately if you've got to deal with it, Chris, you've got to deal with it. And I think uh, to a lesser or greater extent, most people step up to the plate because I'm not saying you have no choice because there's always a choice. But, you know, if you love the person you're with, be that a uh, family member, partner, children, then you do mm. because I don't think that matters whether you're a man or a woman. Generally, there are exceptions, obviously, but I think uh, you, know, you deal with it. But I think for a carer, for... I can imagine that's a really, really tough, really, really tough situation to be in, to see your partner getting ill. Um, I've unfortunately been in the situation literally in the last couple of days where uh, a family friend has passed away and the funeral was yesterday and from a lung cancer from six, seven months ago. And I think to be the carer would be awful in that situation personally. Yeah, agreed.
0: Yeah. Wow, I was, about, I was about to draw it to an end, but that seems like a dreadful <laughs> play, place to stop. Let's think of some something positive. Let's talk of some solutions to um, the various issues that we've come up with for men's health. I, I think the Roman Reigns thing is
2: a great... I mean, it's any excuse for me to talk about wrestling and stuff like that, if I'm I'll, being I'll honest. I'll stop you there and ask yeah, yeah. Nigel no yeah, for a question. Uh, should we do something <laughs> sensible instead? Uh, do you know what? I think you, when you've got a global superstar... Like Roman Reigns, who, if you don't know who that is, he's this massive wrestler. He is the Hulk Hogan of 2019 or Big Daddy or whatever wrestling era you remember. Show you age right there. Yes. <laughs> uh, I probably go back further, but I will um, You know, you've got this six foot two, six foot three, Samoan Italian, big guy, great looking guy, takes all these bumps, you know, is, is, is ripped, is fit, and is hit by a blood cancer for me that's the line of sight that i think hits home with an an awful lot more people um especially men i think they'll look at that and go crikey you know if that can happen and i and i think that particular diagnosis would have educated a lot of people um in that this this can really happen to anybody and with that and jeff thomas is another great example you know here's a a professional footballer, an international footballer, former England player, um, and gets a diagnosis of this. And, and like you were saying earlier, you know, you're fit, you're doing right, you're looking after yourself. But those high-profile patients, I think, are really important to the community um, to sort of to sort of really ram that message home and say it can be anybody, absolutely anybody. I think, from my point of view, and I agree absolutely with what you said. I
1: often think to myself. Uh, I have absolutely no doubt at all there will be some really well-known people out there around the country and around the world who actually do have a blood cancer, who do have a mental health problem, who do have whatever, and are afraid to come out and, and say this. And I think one thing that, you know, the royals have done recently, particularly with mental health issues, is a great thing to actually come out and say, you know, this is something we should be talking about You know, Roman Reigns coming out talking about his CML and other people. It's a shame more people can't or feel they're unable to do that. Um, And I think it is changing. It is changing. The acceptability of coming out um, in society and saying, I have a problem with whatever is getting better. And doing things like today and talking about things
2: will only improve that. That mental health agenda is so important, isn't it? It's it's it it is life. It's completely life changing. Mm. Um, I lost my best friend to suicide. He committed suicide five years ago. You know. Um, we didn't, no one had an idea he, was, he, he appeared to have it all and didn't talk about anything like that no one had an idea of it and that's the worst case scenario so um, any opportunity I think it's really important that we do say talk about it, find someone to talk about it, call, it, call a helpline call anything, there are resources out there, there are apps um, yeah if you've got problems get them off your chest and, mm. and share them that's key regardless
0: of your situation well, that's a slightly more positive. I I was going. This is go- this is going really positive. Oh, it's going negative again. Now <laughs> we're back to a positive. But if I we, think if we can't learn lessons
2: from that, then, <laughs> you know we, we've all failed, and I think the lessons we should learn is is keep talking.
1: I think the positive act,
2: the positive thing is things
1: are getting better, and they are.
0: Yes. It's as simple as that. They are excellent. Well, I think that's the perfect place to leave it. Mm-hmm. So, thank you, Nigel. Thank you, Chris, for joining me. Thank you. Um, we will be doing more podcasts. So keep an eye out. Um, I know Chris has got a particularly interesting one coming in September, Roman Reigns that he mentioned oh, already. Um, so do keep an eye out for the rest of the podcasts that are coming. And thank you very much for watching. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leukaemia Chatters. For more information and support from Leukaemia Care, go to our website, leukemiacare.org.uk or call our helpline 08088 See you next month.